for me, it was living proof that God keeps his promises. I had waited a lifetime for the hope of the world to arrive. And just when it seemed that the prophecy would die along with me, I heard the cry of salvation coming from, from an obscure little town. The only thing more powerful than expectant hope is fulfilled hope. It gave me permission to die in peace, but more importantly, it gave people everywhere the possibility to live with peace. Take your Bible with me, if you will, and open to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. In just a few moments, I'm going to read to you beginning in, in verse tw 25. And uh, we're going to be reading down through verse 35. And I want you to be able to follow along in your Bible. On these past three Sunday mornings, and this is the end of this short series at Christmas, we've been looking at some of the characters of the Christmas story and looking at some of the emotions that are found in the Christmas story. And in Mary, we saw that she could be overwhelmed. Uh, there was so much coming at her, so much that was told to her, so much responsibility placed upon her that she could have very easily felt overwhelmed. And we talked about what you do when you feel overwhelmed. Three little words, stop, look, and listen. You stop the madness, you, you look to help others, and you listen to God. Last week, we talked about Joseph. Joseph could have easily been hurt, and that hurt could have turned into bitterness. Of course, the angel resolved that by telling him that the child that was conceived in Mary's womb was a divine child. It was a supernatural conception. But he could have very easily taken that hurt and become bitter. And we talked about how to deal with hurt at the Christmas season because it seems to amplify hurt. Celebrations, holidays seems to amplify hurt. And we use three little words, stop, drop, and roll. Stop rehearsing the offense, drop the push for revenge, and roll this burden onto the Lord. Now, this past week, Mary said, I'd really like you to build a sermon on Christmas around the three points of shake, rattle, and roll. <laughs> and I said, we're not the right denomination for that. We'd have to be more Pentecostal than we are. But today we're going to use another little uh, memory tool, a simple memory tool, as we talk about the story of this man, Simeon. Follow with me, if you will, beginning in verse 25. And Behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was just and devout, waiting, remember that word, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles in the glory of your people, Israel. 
And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to his mother, to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for all of these different aspects of the Christmas story. We could talk about the Christmas story from the Old Testament. We could talk about it from the epistles. Lord, we've been focusing on it from the characters around the Christmas story that are given to us in the Gospels. And I pray today, Lord, that you'll help us to see Simeon and understand this man and let him be an example for what we should do when we find ourselves waiting, waiting. In your name we pray, amen. Most of us are American. All of us, I assume, are American, or you're certainly living in America. You're here. You're visiting in America. You might be a guest today. But if you live in America, you are a pretty impatient people. I'm a pretty impatient person. I'm used to things getting done when I want them done, and I don't like to wait for them. Um, the other day, I was uh, going to get supper for my wife, we, uh, where she was at a music practice trying to get ready for the big program that was coming with all the others who were coming for that practice, and we had a very busy day. We weren't able to eat before she left. There's too many things that were going on. And so I told her, I said, what I'll do is when... The practice comes toward the end. When you think you're about 20 or 25 minutes out from the end, just text me, and I'll go down and get you what you want. And she had already told me what she wanted for supper that evening. I'll go down, and I'll get you what you want. And then I'll bring it back, and we'll eat supper together. We shouldn't be eating that late. That's, you know, 8.30 or so, 8.15 by that time that uh, we would have to, to, to be able to eat. But I said, I'll do that. And so... Uh, she let me know when the service was or the uh, practice was coming close to an end, and I got in my car and I went downtown uh, to get a meal. I pulled in the drive-through line and I waited. There's one car ahead of me, and the car was there a good five minutes or so. I figured they must have a big order. Uh, it must be complicated. You know, a lot of people come to a dress to a drive-through at a restaurant that they've been to a thousand times and still have to make up their mind when they get there which is fascinating to me uh, because I already know what I'm going to get by the time I get to the speaker. You don't have to give me any time to figure it out. I already know what I want. So I figure, well, they must be trying to figure out what they want. And five minutes passed. And then, you know, the car drove around the side to the window where they pick, pick up your food. And I pulled up to the speaker and the, the lady said, I'll be with you in a moment. I sat there five minutes. No, nobody ever said anything. And my waiting meter started going off. Uh, the frustration began growing. I waited another 10 minutes. This is my wife's supper. This is what she wanted that evening. I could have eaten anything probably, but she wanted something very specific. So I, I waited 10 minutes. She said, how do you know that? I looked at the clock when I got there, and I was watching that clock, 10 minutes. Nobody ever came and asked, could we help you? What would you like? So I'm thinking they've forgotten that I'm here. So I pull around to the window, and I see that the car that was ahead of me is still sitting at the window. And so 
I just go around the car, go around the building, nobody's in line, get back to the speaker, they probably have forgotten me, and maybe I'll trigger that buzzer that'll remind them that I'm here, and I sit there another five minutes or so. Fifteen minutes I sat out there by that speaker. Nobody ever spoke to me. Nobody ever asked me what my order was. So I decided this is what my wife wants. I pulled around and I pulled into a parking spot. There's only four or five cars that are in the parking lot. I pulled in the parking spot and I decided I'll go in and I'll order at the, at, the, at the cashier inside. And I walk in and there's four or five people that are inside. They're all standing around the front. And one lady turns to me and says, I've been waiting on my food 30 minutes. And the other lady was in a pretty heated discussion with the lady who takes the money when you pay out about getting her money back. She had a five-year-old in the car, and I can't wait any longer, and I maintained my composure. I never said anything to anybody, didn't have an opportunity to say anything to anybody, and I just turned around, and I went out, and I begged my wife's forgiveness. (laughs) Can we get something different tonight? I know what you were counting on, can we get something different tonight? And graciously, she said, certainly, you can get something different. When you have to wait on something, whether it's something that you've ordered on Amazon or it's something like us that we've ordered on Williams-Sonoma or something that we've ordered for the kids, it's supposed to come in, and it doesn't come in on the day it's supposed to come in, and they send you an email and they say, we're sorry that it was delayed, we're hoping that it'll be, or we think it'll be, or it will be on a certain day. The waiting process sometimes causes frustration uh, to rise within us. We don't like to wait, and when we have to wait, we get frustrated from waiting. Well, I can't do a lot about Williams-Sonoma and Amazon, and I can't do much about the fast food restaurants that, don't, that are understaffed and can't take care of the customers that are coming through. I can't do much about that. But I want to talk to you today a little bit about waiting so that you don't become frustrated when it comes to waiting on the Lord. Because the Bible repeatedly tells us that we're supposed to, as his children, to wait on the Lord. That's a phrase that in essence says, you're supposed to trust God. His timing is perfect. If it isn't your timing, and it didn't happen when you think it should occur, nevertheless, you should be willing to wait on God and understand that God is at work And God's timing is always perfect. And don't let yourself get frustrated when you have to wait on God. Maybe it's waiting on God for a loved one that you've been praying for a long time to come to faith in Christ. Maybe it's waiting for your husband or your wife to make some changes so that your relationship can get better and can get stronger. Maybe it's waiting for your children to begin to show a real heart for the things of God and a real burden Uh, for the work of God. Maybe it's waiting on any number of other things, things that you've likely talked to the Lord about, things that you know that God would desire from you and from your family, and you're praying about them, you've asked God about them, and you're waiting for God to do something, and it hasn't happened yet. Sometimes you get frustrated. Lord, why not? Why not now? Lord, what are you waiting on can't you get this done? What's the reason for the, for the delay? Why are you postponing this, Lord? And we get, we get to waiting, and we find ourselves sometimes frustrated. We're introduced in our text today to a man who had to wait. His name was Simeon. We don't know exactly how long Simeon had to wait. 
We know that he was told by God that before he died, he was going to be able to see with his own eyes the Christ child that was born, the Messiah, the long-promised Messiah. He would be able to see that with his own eyes, that child with his own eyes. It seems to imply that he had been waiting a long time. It seems to imply as well that by the time he got to actually see the Christ child and take him in his arms and hold him up and pronounce this blessing, it seems that he's an old man. So he's not just been waiting a day or two or a week or two or a month or two. It's likely that he's been waiting for years and years, waiting for God to do what God had told him he was going to do. And he could have been a man who would have felt a frustration growing within him. Lord, is not the time right? I mean, look at Israel. We need the Messiah. Can't you do this now, Lord? I'm getting old. You realize, Father, I'm not going to be here that much longer. You've got to do something pretty soon. I'm not going to last a lot longer. It seems as if he was a man who was advancing in years, and he knew that his time on this world was coming to an end. He even says in this text that, Lord, you, you can dismiss me now. You can let me go. I, I can come to you now. He indicates that he's ready to die. I'm ready to die now that I've seen the Messiah but here is a man who displays for us what it means to wait without frustration. Wait on God without getting frustrated with God because God doesn't act on our timetable. You know, when you were a kid, one of the things that you did at PE or maybe if you were on a track team, you know what we mean when we say, on your mark, get set. What's the next word? Go. On your mark, get set, go. Those are the words we're using today for the application of this message about not becoming frustrated when you're waiting. Because frustration at the Christmas season, you're frustrated because you got to wait on the traffic. You hit every light. Now you got to wait on every light. Why can't I get a green light every once in a while? Why is every light a red light? You're waiting in line to make the purchase that you want to purchase. There's all of this waiting going on, and you know what I'm talking about, the frustration that has a tendency to rise but when it comes to waiting on God, we can't let that frustration overtake us. And how do we do that? Well, we follow the advice of those who at PE were told, on your mark, get set, go. This is not shake, rattle, and roll. <laughs> on your mark, get set, go. Think with me for a few minutes about these words. First of all, on your mark. What do they mean when they say, on your mark? They're telling the runners to do what? Get to the starting line and get prepared for the race that you're about to run. They might be exercising. They may be stretching their muscles. They may be running a little bit to try to loosen up. They may be doing a lot of other things. But when he says, on your mark, the starter says, on your mark, what do they mean to do? They mean for you to go get behind the starting line because you've got to be at that point if you're going to run this race on your mark. Know where you stand. On your mark's a well-known command that tells runners to get into their position for the start of the race, and it implies absolute, accurate, and totally being totally precise. It means get to the place where this race begins, and I want you to know this morning that the place that you begin when you find yourself waiting on God, the starting point 
for us, where we have to go and we have to stand while we are waiting on God to fulfill whatever it is he said in his word, we have to go and we have to stand on his word. That's the starting point in our lives. You understand that today we hold in our hands the most precious book there is. Every person ought to own a Bible, not just have one on an iPad or on an iPhone or an Android device. Every person ought to own a Bible. They ought to open that Bible. They ought to look at that Bible. They ought to read the words off the page, not just the digital words off a screen. They need to read the words off of the page of a Bible. The Bible is a book that's been written to us. And you own a Bible, and you realize that we have in our hands the inspired, inerrant, infallible word of the living God. While you're waiting, what do you do? You get to the starting line on your mark. And where is your mark for the starting line? Your starting line is the word of the living God. And you go and you stand on the precepts and on the promises of this book. This is God's word. You may hold in your hand a new American standard or a new international version or an English uh, or a, an ESV, English standard version, or a, a, a CSB. Uh, you may have the CEV. You may have the NKJV, which I use on a regular basis. You may have the NIV. Whatever that translation may be that's taken from those original texts of the Bible and translated into the language that we have today, into the English language for us, Every one of us can hold up that Bible and we can say, we have the word of the living God and I'm going to get at the mark. I'm going to stand on the mark and the mark is the word of God. That's the starting point. When you're waiting on God, you go back to his precepts and you go back to his principles and you stand on the word of God. It's unfortunate that the world we live in is constantly seeking to diminish the value and the importance of the scripture. Liberalism that I knew when I was growing up and was witness to in those days is still afoot in this day. And the attack is always the same. It always begins at the same place. It always begins with this book. Just don't believe this book. You'll find a college professor. You'll find a high school teacher. You'll find plenty of friends. If you say, I believe the Bible and I stand on the word at the starting point of my life, what the scripture has to say, you'll find plenty of people that'll mock you and laugh at you and say, that's just a book of fantasy. It's all been proven untrue. And everybody's got access to the internet. And everybody is so smart because they've read it on the internet and they know everything on the internet's true. The reality is you can find anything you want in the internet and you can find those sites that'll tell you the Bible isn't true and you can find those that prove that it is. The question is, what are you looking for? And if you're looking to find the truth about the Bible, you will discover that it is in fact the word of the living God. And anyone who seeks to diminish it, to play it down, to say it's not important, to change what it says to something that it doesn't say, to undermine your feeling of its authority, your understanding of its authority in your life, of its sufficiency. Hear the word, of its sufficiency in his life. Everything you need for life and godliness is in this book. Everything is in this book. And when you're waiting on God, you get on your mark. Where do you go? You go right back to the starting place. You go right back to the beginning, and you get on the Word, and you get in the Word, and you learn the precepts, and you learn the promises. Think about this man. 
Remember what it says about him in verse 29? He says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. Or if you see what he says in verse 32 when he's pronouncing this blessing, he's quoting from Isaiah 42, verse 6, and from Isaiah 49, verse 6, and he says, a light Speaking of Jesus, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. In other words, this man knew his Bible. This man knew the Old Testament scriptures. This man knew the prophecies about Jesus. This man knew where he stood. He knew on what he stood, that he stood on the word of God. There's lots of people that will take you back and say you can't believe in creation because evolution is the only way everything could happen. There's lots of people that will say love is love, but that's a lie because it isn't always love. Sometimes it's lust, and sometimes it's the lawlessness that the Bible talks about. All of these things that we hear about in our world are an attack at the word of the living God. And when you're waiting on God, the place you go is you go and you wrap yourself in this book, and you stand at the starting line on the authority of this book. If you want to know something about your Bible, someone has developed an acronym to help us think about the incredible riches and the wealth that we have in the Word of God. And they use the word MAPS, M-A-P-S, in order to talk about the wealth that we have in the Word of God. The letter M stands for manuscripts. Did you know that we have 14,000 manuscripts in fragments of the Old Testament? In the abundance of the New Testament textual evidence, we have and possess some 5,300 manuscripts or portions of the Greek New Testament, and about 800 of those were copied and written before A.D. 100. And do you realize that the oldest of them was written within 60 years? was written and copied within 60 years of, uh, of the apostles in a Christ himself. I mean, when you look at your Bible, it is the best attested book of antiquity. And it's a book where the manuscript evidence alone testifies to its reliability. The letter A stands for archaeology. In other words, it's not like the Book of Mormon and other books where you can't find the people and you can't find the sites, where you can't substantiate the historical accuracy of what it has to say. The Bible you hold in your hand is historically accurate. Sir William Ramsey was an archaeologist, and he set out to disprove, disprove the historical reliability of the New Testament, but instead he was converted to the historical reliability of the Bible. He proved it in his archaeological digs that it was accurate in what it had to say. He confirmed the trustworthiness of Scripture, the events, the people, the places, the customs that are found in the New Testament. Even his secular historians have confirmed the historicity of the Bible we hold in our hand. People like Josephus and the Roman Tacitus or uh, the Roman Suetonius or the Roman gover governor Pliny. Or you think about some of the early church fathers who were only living a short time after that first century like Tertullian and Irenaeus and Julius and Clement of Rome, all of them shed light on the New Testament historical accuracy. The Bible you hold in your hand is the starting point for every believer in Jesus.
That's why we encourage you to read it every day. That's why we encourage you to come to church Sunday morning and Sunday night. That's why we encourage you to get in a life group where you're talking about the Bible all the time. That's why we want you to dig beyond the surface and try to get beneath just what you can read in the devotional style and try to understand what the Scripture has to say because the manuscripts are an evidence of this incredible treasure that's been left with us. The archaeology proves the historicity of our Bible. Then the letter P is the word prophecies. There are hundreds and hundreds of prophecies that are made years and years, hundreds of years before they were fulfilled. Just some of those that are applicable to us at this time of the year are the prophecies about the birth of Christ, about his life, and about his death. They were indisputably, those prophecies about Jesus' life, his death, his birth, were indisputably rendered more than at least a century a century before they occurred, as proven by the Dead Sea Scrolls. And actually, Isaiah was written 700 years before the coming of Jesus Christ. So that when you look at prophecy, you begin to recognize that the reality is that you could never have predicted as accurately as they were predicting these things to occur. Only God could have shown them what was going to happen, and only God could have fulfilled those prophecies. That hundred years relates to the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, some hundred years or so before the coming of Jesus in Bethlehem. But those prophecies are proof that the Bible you hold in your hand is the starting point. Don't let the liberals tell you that you can reinterpret it. Churches today are reinterpreting the Bible. We got it wrong on homosexuality, and we got it wrong on marriage, and we got it wrong on these various other subjects. We just got to reinterpret it according to the culture of our day. No, 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 no. We didn't get it wrong. They're getting it wrong by compromising the Word of God. And when you find yourself waiting on God, that's not the time to abandon His Word. That's the time to run to the starting line and stand there on the authority of His Word. That last letter is the word, the last letter is the letter S, and it stands for statistics. Statistics. When you look at all the statistics, the statistical evidence of the Bible, you begin to recognize this book is a treasure. It's a wealth of treasure that's been left to us a Bible that was written over a span of 1,500 years by some 40 different authors in three different languages on many different subjects, but the common theme throughout all of it is Jesus Christ and the redemption of God. Why is it we don't know our Bibles, church? Why is it our young people are going to college and being confused by professors who were like Satan in the Garden of Eden looking to take them down? Why is it that our children don't know the truth because we as parents don't know the truth? And yet when we're waiting on God as Simeon was waiting on God for the arrival of the Christ child, what we so desperately need to do is get on your mark. Go back to the truth and stand on the authority and the sufficiency of Scripture. After you've gotten on your mark, you've got to get set. What do you mean, get set? Exactly what I mean, exactly what I'm saying. Well, what do the runners do when they get to the starting line? Well, it depends on what kind of race. If it's a long race, they stand there. 
They put their feet as close to the starting line as they can, and they begin leading in. And what are they doing? They're anticipating the start of the race. If it's one of the shorter races, they get down and put their feet in the blocks, and they put their fingers up against the starting line, and they will say, get set, and you'll see them. Their hips will rise as they're anticipating the beginning of the race. In other words, when you're waiting on God, you ought to have a posture of anticipation. You ought to anticipate in faith. To, to get set means to be prepared or excited because there's something or someone, something is about to happen or someone is about to come. And Simeon was excited. Think about it. Every day he went to the temple. Every day he walked into the temple areas and he'd be looking around. Is this the day? Will I see the child today? Will I see him today? He wasn't just on his mark knowing what the Word of God said, standing on the authority of the book. But he was anticipating today might be the day. It might be the day, and one day turned into a week, and a week into month, a month, and month into months, and months into years. And he's come over and over looking for the Christ child, but every day he comes, he comes with this anticipation. He's walking by faith. Isn't that how we're supposed to live our lives? For we walk by faith. And not by sight. Every day he was living and believing that this would be the day. Every day he was living and believing with anticipation. I can see the Christ child today. I can see the Christ child today. And he'd look around and maybe that day he'd walk away. He didn't get frustrated. He knew where he stood. He understood the anticipation that God had put in his heart. And he knew that he'd come back the next day, and the next day, and the next day, anticipating that God's going to do exactly what he says. Hebrews chapter 11 says, you cannot please God apart from faith. You, did you get that? You cannot please God apart from faith. We have to trust him. We have to trust him. You say, but pastor, you don't know what I'm going through. You don't know how hard my life is. You don't know what people are saying. You don't know what my business is doing. You don't understand the reversals I'm facing. Yeah, I do. I understand that you're going through a trial of your faith. And are you going to believe God in the midst of it? Or are you going to walk away from God? When you find yourself in those circumstances, Simeon didn't walk away from God. He got older. You know what happens as you get older? You don't walk as fast as you used to walk. You're not quite as steady as you used to be. You can't do all the things you used to do. Your body isn't as strong as it used to be. You're more slump-shouldered. Sometimes you drag your feet. And you can see him every day that passes and every year that passes. He comes into that temple. He's waiting. He's going to see the Messiah. And every year, he's a little weaker than he was the year before. But he keeps anticipating and he keeps believing God. Can I tell you, dear friend, if you're waiting on God about something in your life, keep believing God. Keep anticipating that God is going to do exactly what he said he would do. Maybe it's a child that's away from the Lord and not following God, and you get discouraged. Lord, I'm tired of waiting. Don't give up. Don't give in. Don't quit. Keep anticipating. Get to the starting line and stand on the truth. Anticipate. Get set. God's hearing you, and God's coming to you, and God's coming to that problem or that circumstance in your life. God's coming to address it. Many years ago, there was a house near the entrance of a subdivision. 
they kept their Christmas light burning all season long. And then it became January and they continued to burn. And it became February and they continued to burn. And the neighbors were beginning to get a little frustrated. They were waiting for this man to either turn off the lights or take them down if need be. And they couldn't understand why he left them burning. And then it was middle March. And in middle March, he put out a sign in the front of his yard. This was during the Vietnam War. Put out a sign in his yard that said, Welcome home, Jimmy. Welcome home, Jimmy. The neighbors learned that the family had a son in Vietnam, and they had unashamedly left their Christmas lights on in anticipation of his return. And that's the kind of anticipation that God wants us to live with every day. Maybe it's a week, maybe it's a month, maybe it's a year, maybe it's 10 years. I've told this story before, and I'll tell it quickly. A lady in our church who was here when we came, whose husband was an unbeliever, but came with her to church every Sunday, prayed for her husband again and again that he would be saved. Oh, God, please save him. And she would come to Mary and to me, and she'd say, please pray for my husband to be saved. And we would join her. She had other people that were praying, please. And she continued on. We continued to witness to him and minister to him. And the years passed, and she became sick with cancer, and she died. In that memorial service, I stood there, and I memorialized her life, but then I spoke about the Savior and the need of receiving Christ. And when I finished the message, I gave an opportunity for people to receive Jesus right there in the service. And when I finished the prayer and I finished that service and it was time for them to come and get the body and for us to go to the cemetery, the first man out of his chair was this woman's husband. And he came directly to me at the front and he said, I just received Christ as my Savior with you. Don't give up. You keep anticipating. You keep believing. You keep trusting. Get to your mark. That's the word of God, the promises and the precepts in this book. Learn what it says. Wrap yourself in it. And then get set. Anticipate that God is going to do exactly what he said he was going to do. And this man came back with this kind of anticipation. And then you know the next word that comes. On your mark, get set go go get busy until he shows you what's next get busy this sounds funny but get busy while you're waiting get busy while you're waiting where is this man when he meets the Christ child he's in the temple he's not lazying at his house he's not waiting for Mary and Joseph to bring the baby to him this man is busy. He's serving and he's working. He's doing the things he's supposed to do. Do you hear how he's described? Look back at verse 25. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was just. It means he was righteous. It's the same word that was used of Joseph and of Elizabeth and of Zechariah. And he was devout, meaning that he's careful in his religious duties. He goes about them in a very careful manner. Look how many times it references the Holy Spirit. At the end of verse 25, the Holy Spirit was upon him. Verse 26, it was revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. Verse 27, so he came by the Spirit. This is a Spirit-filled, Spirit-led kind of a man. This is a man who's doing what is right and who's, he's conducting himself in a, in a manner that demonstrates that he believes God and he trusts God. 
even while he's waiting. Well, if God will do this for me, then I'll serve God. It didn't work that way. You serve God, and God will do what he's going to do in his time, not yours. We keep serving, and we keep going, and we keep obeying. And my friends, there's not a ministry in this church that doesn't approach me or one of our pastors almost on a weekly basis that doesn't say, we need help here. We need someone there. We could use the person in this area or in that area of ministry. There's never enough hands to do all the work that needs to be done. Because a lot of us are waiting. Well, Lord, when you do what I want you to do, then I'm going to go do what I know I ought to be doing. It doesn't work that way. You go do what you ought to be doing while you're waiting on the Lord to do what he said he was going to do. And you just stay busy and you stay at it and you keep busy and you keep working and you keep serving and you keep going and you keep living. And my friends, there are places all around our ministry where you can plug in whether it's in media or whether it's children or teens or singles or whether it's couples or whether it's life groups or whether it's in services or in hospitality, whether it's in any number of areas, there's places to get busy, to get busy. We don't wait by doing nothing. We wait by getting busy. We go to work. We say, Lord, I want to serve. I want to be busy about the work. You know where you're going to meet the Christ child? You know where you're going to meet your answer? You're not going to meet your answer sitting on your sofa, a couch potato. You're going to meet the answer while you're serving faithfully your master. That's where God's going to meet you. And that's where you're going to see the answer that God wants to give to you for that which you're waiting for. While you're serving, God's going to show you the answer. On your mark, stand on this book. That's what this man Simeon did. He stood on the word of God. He knew what it said. He knew God promised a Messiah. He believed what it said. Get set. He lived with anticipation every single day of his life. This could be the day. This could be the day. This could be the day. Go. He got busy. He just kept serving and kept serving and kept serving. And the older you get, the easier it is to say, well, I'm just going to retire. Well, I understand retirement. I can't do what I used to could do, but I can tell you this. There is no retirement from serving God. You may change some of the things you do in the way you go about doing them. You may have to shift from something to a new aspect of serving, but the reality is there's no retirement from serving God. As a matter of fact, the New Testament church is not built the New Testament church is built with those with the gray hair leading those that are younger and passing down the wisdom to those that are younger. We just need a younger pastor. Well, probably so. I've been told that before. That probably so. But I got something that a younger pastor won't have. I got 45 years of experience. That if you'll let me I can pass it on to you, and you can do in your youth things that I couldn't do in my youth because I didn't have that wisdom that was passed down to me. You understand what I'm saying? Get busy. And by the way, if you can't find something around here to do, the service of God is all around you all the time. There's a moving Christmas story that's told about an old shoe cobbler who dreamed one Christmas Eve that Jesus would come to visit him the next day. And the dream was so real that he was convinced that it was true. So the next morning he got up, he cut the green bows to decorate his shop. 
He got ready for Jesus to come. He just knew from that dream that Jesus was going to come and going to visit him. He sat down and he waited. Well, the hours passed and Jesus didn't come. And there was an old man that came. He came inside for a moment to get warm because it was cold outside. And the cobbler looked at him and noticed that he had holes in his shoes. So he reached up on the shelf and he got him a new pair of shoes. And he made sure they fit him just right. He made sure his socks were dry. He put him on him and they sent him on his way. And still he waited. He said, Jesus didn't come. And then there was an old woman who came. And that old woman who hadn't had a decent meal in two days sat down to visit with him for just a few minutes. And so he decided he'd prepare some food for her to eat. And she, gave, she ate a nourishing meal that day. And then he sent her on her way. And he sat down again to wait on Jesus to come. Still, Jesus didn't come. And then he heard a little boy crying out in front of his shop. And he went out and he talked to the little boy. And he discovered that the little boy had been separated from his family and he didn't know how to get home, so he took the little boy inside. He put his coat, the cobbler put his coat on, and he took the little boy by the hand, and he led him home, helped him to find his family so he didn't have to be afraid. When he came back to his little shoe shop, it was almost dark, and the streets were empty to people. Then in a moment of despair, he lifted his voice to heaven, and he said, Lord, why didn't you come today? And then in a moment of silence, he seemed to hear a voice saying, oh, shoe cobbler, lift up your heart. I kept my word. Three times I knocked at your friendly door. Three times my shadow fell across your floor. I was the man with the bruised feet. I was the woman you gave to eat. I was the boy on the homeless street. Jesus had come, but the cobbler hadn't even recognized it. We go, we get busy right around us because people all around us that are right in our purview all the time are in need. People you could invite to church, people you could introduce to Jesus, people you could help in some practical way. And in the process, you become the arms and the feet of Jesus, loving people who desperately need to be loved. Here's a man who's waiting. What do you do when you're waiting? On your mark. You go back to the Word, and you stand on the truth of this book. And young people, adults, don't, I've been studying this book 50 years. 16, 50 years since I was saved, 50 years. I have found this book to be true and accurate and reliable and dependable and the Word of the living God. I haven't found the errors in it. I haven't found reasons to disbelieve it. I have found more reasons to believe it and to see the truth of it. Amen. On your mark, get set. Whatever God's going to do, God's going to do it. Just get, just get set. God's going to do it. Live in faith every single day. God's going to do what he said he's going to do, and he'll do it in his time, which may not be yours or mine. And then go. Just go get busy. Get serving. Because it's most likely that you're going to meet the answer to whatever it is or whatever it is you're waiting on. You're going to see the answer to it while you're serving, while you're busy, not while you're sitting, while you're serving. Doing something for others, doing something for the cause of Christ, doing something for the glory of God, doing something to advance the church and the mission of the church. On your mark, get set, go. Go.